So last week, last week we looked at the, the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, which is all of the Bible. And today we're going to be seeing how we implement that conviction in our worship to God. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 24 most specifically. Rather, rather than doing the, the normal work of exegesis on an entire chapter, uh, which would take much longer than this morning that we have, we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be looking at this chapter as a foundation for our principle for worship. We're, we're going to let Exodus 24 inform us how we are to worship God. And I wanted us to look at this today so that you have a better understanding of why we worship the way that we do. And more importantly, because God cares about how we worship Him. And He has not left us without being informed. I'm going to do this by showing three things. First, God interacts with His people Through covenant. Second, apprehending the idea of covenant renewal. And lastly, how we continue living in covenant with God today. So, rather than doing uh, what's going to be our normative working through books of the Bible, verse by verse, Today we're going to be doing an overview of this chapter to learn a pattern or a practice. It's important that we know the difference. We need to understand the difference in teaching here because how I'm teaching today should not be the regular diet for God's people. And it's not going to be here. The normative form of teaching we will have is, is like what we did last week. Um, but it'll be, like I said, through books of the Bible, not just single passages. Today we're looking at a broader idea or practice. And it's not derived from one or two verses in the Bible. Uh, and you need to know what you're hearing because implicit forms of teaching like today, have a higher risk for error, but when accurate, and I pray to God that I'm being faithful to the dividing of the word here, it carries the same weight as all all the rest of Scripture. Uh, When we uphold the text like we did last week, so you remember the passage of the sufficiency and authority of Scripture, about all Scripture being profitable for all areas of life. We believe that unto completion. So when we ask the question, how shall we worship, Lord? How shall we worship? We believe that that passage speaks to that truth for us. We believe that passage by looking to Scripture for the answer. God says it's profitable. God says that He has given us what we need to complete our faith. So let's begin with looking 
as we do a drive-by, I like to kind of say it as a drive-by um, work of looking over theological matters. Uh, first, God interacts with his people through covenant. So covenant theology observes and presents a clear picture of the consistent work of redemption, which we see in the continuity of the covenants that God has given throughout all of history. And we, and we now see how these covenants are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. Recent confusion over how God redeems his people has led to many divisions within the church and an inconsistent teaching about the imputation in justification. In other words, a Reformed tradition upholds the historic understanding and confession that God saved and saves all his people, all of them, the same way. I'll read from the Westminster Confession of Faith 11.5, which reads, God did, from all eternity, decree to justify the elect, and Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. So this was following what we would commonly refer to as a covenant of works, which refers to the covenant God made with Adam and Eve before the fall. So God's blessing was contingent on their obedience, Adam and Eve, before the fall. After the fall, God continued the promise. He continued the promise of redemption to those who broke the covenant of works that we refer to as the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace has been revealed and reinforced from Genesis 3.15 through Revelation. The covenants established with Noah and Abraham are seen by most people as being of grace. However, however, there are too many that get confused when we look at the Mosaic covenant that we're looking at today. Too many think that this was another covenant of works. And that's not true. The Christian scriptures contain the Old Covenant and New Covenant of Jesus Christ. His covenant of grace was developed with Noah and later with Abraham. Now the common misunderstanding in the Old Covenant is that we were saved by what we do. Obeying the law. As opposed to the New Covenant where people are saved by grace. By what God does for us in Christ. But that's not only wrong, it's a really bad way to look at Scripture. 
why do we think this in that broken mentality of the old and new? It, p- perhaps it's because of things like the Ten Commandments that we read in Exodus 20. We might think we earn or otherwise deserve being heirs of this great promised redemption. But that fails to see that God is just continuing the work of keeping his original covenant. As he also says to Moses, I am remembering I am remembering my covenant. If you look at the beginning of Exodus 20, you see that God is reminding Moses of the work he has already done. I am the Lord your God. He is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's a looking back. It's a remembering of his work. Now we look at the law, the law that precedes this statement, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments, reveals that God saves his people and then shows us how to live our lives the way we ought to. A proper understanding of this is critical to making sense of living as new covenant Christians today. The most disorderly and confusing gatherings that you see today are due to their neglect of the old covenant, the old, as we refer, the older or Old Testament. Far too many pastors look at everything before Matthew as not applying to the believer today or inconsistently apply various passages to us in ways that are utterly inconsistent. And you can see the problem with this. As many Christians, we have this tendency to pinch that last little section of our Bibles and say, okay, that, that part's for me. And that's why I preached last week on 2 Timothy 3. Paul exhorted pastors of the church, all Scripture are sufficient for applicable to us today for all matters of life. All of it. He taught this in his first letter to Timothy that now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. 1 Timothy 1.8 Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. What does that mean? We don't uphold the law as a standard for our righteousness. But the law is holy and righteous and good. The law reveals our sin and it points us to Christ. And when Christ came, he didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. And he fulfilled all righteousness. I want you to listen 
to this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36. Verses 23 to 27, this prophecy speaks of a new covenant. How God is going to fulfill the work and promise from Genesis 3. And what He's doing among His covenant people. Starting in 23, And I will vindicate the holiness of My great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. This passage is really important to understand and consistently teach how God works out the salvation of his people. And if there is any contention about this being about the whole of God's people, the one people of God, rather than one particular physical nation, the author of Hebrews quoted this passage that I just read as fulfilled in the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8. And it's sad to see many still look at these and more promises of God as still unfulfilled. We just need to read the Word. Paul also addressed this truth, answering people who thought that God did not fulfill his promise. So let's go even further into the text and read from Romans 9, starting in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, verse 8, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, Genesis 3, that are counted as offspring. God fulfilled his promise. Now that we can see and affirm that we are the one, the only elect people of God, and he has only one people, how do we live in covenant with him today? 
And this is where we shift gears a little to my second point, which is apprehending, kind of grab hold of this, the idea of covenant renewal. And I'm hoping in this, it really gets our minds working and chewing on this as we look at the whole of Scripture and are doing our own devotions and reading from the Word of God, how this all beautifully and perfectly fits together. We see a clear pattern throughout all the Bible that God works with his people through covenant. Established with Adam and Eve, who failed to keep their covenant with God by sinning against him, And then God then established a covenant of grace, which we see begins with the promise in Genesis 3.15. With the promise, what? To save his people through the offspring of woman. As the story continues, we see this covenant reinforced, reconfirmed with other people throughout the Bible. It begins in the third chapter of Genesis and is further revealed and reinforced all the way through the book of Revelation. We're going to be honing in today on one of the people God covenanted with to see a pattern that we get for worship. And that person was Moses. In Exodus 24, we're looking at God covenanting with his people, and the way that he does it. God gathered for himself a people set apart, where we see a clearer picture of the gathering of covenant renewal that we continue today. So leading up to chapter 24, we have God reinforcing his covenant in chapter 19, We have revealing his law for his people in Exodus 20, applying that law for various cases in chapters 21 through 23, and then confirming this covenant with Moses. Let's take a look at how the chapter opens. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. The picture that we are given in Exodus 24 begins with a call to worship. He invites Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders to come up to the Lord. Come up to the Lord. What follows is going to be an observation of three primary aspects of worship as we look through this chapter. After God invites the men up to meet with him, Moses later gathers the people together for what? Worship. 
The book of the covenant in verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the, all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So what do we see here? Moses begins by speaking the words of God and instruction that God has for his people. The people then respond with affirmation, an agreement to do what God has instructed of them. Moses here is reading the word of God and teaching the word of God, which includes both the promises and curses of God and God's people hear and respond. Hear and respond. The blood of the covenant. And this is where if I liked my little analogies and stuff, I'd pull out a mason jar and make a big point by sprinkling it on all of you so you really bring it home. No, thank, <laughs> praise God we don't do that, right? Um, we see in verse 4 and 5 the show that this gathering also involved, involved an altar. Sacrifices to be offered on the altar. So the altar in verse 4, the sacrifices in verse 5, the sprinkling of blood on the altar in verse 6. This is the blood of the covenant. And we learn from passages like Leviticus 17.11 and Deuteronomy 12.23 that blood signifies life. God used this and purposed it. And it's very powerful. Blood, life. And that life must be given to atone for our souls from the beginning. So part of this gathering of the first covenant involved it being inaugurated with blood. We have that confirmed in Hebrews 9.18. We read that blood of the covenant was commanded for his people and declared that, I quote, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, end quote. And that blood was sprinkled on all the items used for worship. So again, the author of Hebrews sees this as a form of worship that was happening. As we continue to look at these three elements of this worship service, I, I, I want you guys to keep in mind how they all serve as a copy of the heavenly things. They were all shadows. Keep that in your mind. As we're here today, as we're reading through the law, as we're understanding the old covenant into the new, these are the types of things as we read through all of Scripture, we should be asking ourselves, 
What does that mean? What did God intend for that, for his glory? This brings us to the bread, the food, the body. We have the bread of the covenant. We see in verse 11 that Moses, Aaron, and Nadab and Abihu, and the elders ate and drank. They ate and drank. This was a common practice throughout the Bible. Following the gathered people's worship of God. And the beautiful thing we get to see here is that it's a picture of worship. What do we look into the old covenant people of God to edify and teach us as the new covenant people of God? It shows us a pattern, not a command. A pattern, a practice, a practice that we can observe and be taught by to inform our worship. All scripture is God-breathed. Why do we eat together every week? It's an expression of fellowship. It displays the unity and beauty of being one in Christ. We celebrate being God's covenant people by worshiping him while we rest in him, the way that he has revealed throughout history. Today we see some of the differences in living as new covenant people. One being that we don't eat in haste as they did from the former Passover. We have entered the Sabbath rest. We have entered the Sabbath rest in the new covenant. And now we can take time to cultivate our fields, ferment our wine, and let our loaves slowly rise as they are permeated with leaven into a beautiful lump. The new covenant is beautiful. It's a completed picture of the work of Christ that he has been working throughout all of history. And it is the resting and the accomplished work of Christ that we are partakers in today. Finally, how this relates to our worship. How we continue living in covenant with God today. And God reveals his covenant with his people and then invites them into union with him. The beauty of the new covenant is that it is perfectly fulfilled by the great shadow caster, I like to call him, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised seed from Genesis 3. And all who were gathered were granted faith as a gift from God in that promised seed are now unified in Christ and justified by His completed work.
He didn't free us to abandon His Word. He freed us, as we read in passages like Ezekiel 36, so that we can walk in His statutes and rules. We gather, as we do today, to worship Jesus, not ourselves. We worship the living King who is seated on his throne. Let me be clear with all of us today. We love you. We do. We love each and every one of you. And everyone else who would come in covenant with us in Christ. And because of that, we don't care how you prefer to worship. What songs we sing, how we preach, how long we preach, whether we catechize, the buildings we gather in, we are not here to worship you. We are here to worship the reigning king. And since he has revealed to us how he desires to be worshipped, that is our pursuit as new covenant believers. Lord, what do you desire? What pleases you today? And when we pattern our worship service along these observed gatherings throughout the Bible, you can start, start to see why that we, one, begin our gatherings with reverence and preparation in approaching the throne of God. Two, confessing our sins before God. It wasn't just a trendy idea that somebody came up with. Three, we read and preach and teach the Word. Four, we lead the congregation into words of affirmation and confession of the truths of God's Word. Five, it's why we have the represented sacrament of the blood and bread of the covenant. And it's also why, as we are going to have the joy of participating in is observing the sacrament of baptism to the glory of God. You might think, well, wait, I see more in our worship gathering than we see in Exodus 24. And that's a good observation. Exodus 24 is a picture. It's a practice we want to learn from and be taught by. And it's one example. I'm hoping from what we discussed today that it stirs your hearts to explore more of this reality in the Bible. Today was an overview, an introduction to some, a review for others, of why a consistent and biblical understanding of how God works among His people is so important. 
It affects our worship of God. Amen.